Welcome to the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators Podcast, brought to you by Source by Sound Agriculture. I'm McCain Vogel, Assistant Editor of No-Till Farmer. In this episode of the podcast, No-Till legend and former Ohio State Extension Ag engineer, Randall Reeder, talks about his secondary career portraying the Hollywood movie icon, Will Rogers, and what connects Rogers to no-till farming and other conservation agriculture practices. You, you had a great career as an ag engineer at uh, Ohio State and uh, now retired, but before we retired, you kind of took on a second career with uh, Will Rogers. So Randall, tell us a little about that and how it got started, et cetera. Well, I was, uh, I've been in a national figure association for years sure. and at, at a convention in Orlando, Florida, uh, 25, 26 years ago, a person from Oklahoma saw me and said, you got to be Will Rogers <laughs> and, and because I look like him. Uh, so, so that's sure. how I got started. So uh, you grew up in West Virginia, so you kind of had that twang, maybe that Will Rogers had. Uh, yeah, I, I sound I sound enough like Will Rogers that anywhere other than Oklahoma uh, is yeah. passable. Yep. Yeah. So how did you get this launched? And well, tell 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 us what you do as the Will Rogers uh, man. Well, I I write a weekly comments. I started right. doing that soon afterwards, and it's already over eleven 1, hundred of those that I've written. Uh, then, of course, I do speaking across the country. <laughs> when I first got started, and I hope these recordings don't exist, but uh, <laughs> one of the first ones I did was at the National No-Till Conference, where I uh, did a few minutes of Will Rogers' quotes. So you got any idea what year that was? Go back 25 years. Okay. Uh, so it would be 1997, maybe, 96 sure, or 97. Sure. So we kind of launched your career with the NOTO conference, got you started? <laughs> you got me, yeah, you got me, got me started all right, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I, I enjoy having uh, no-till farmers uh, on my weekly comments list, and I get comments from them once in a while, reactions on what I'm sure. writing about today, and including Will Rogers' quotes. And his, his wisdom applies forever. Uh, Frank, I always include at least one or two of Will Rogers' quotes. Uh, this week, the one I just wrote and sent out yesterday was about the uh, the debt limit situation, mm -hmm. and and I put in about five or six quotes by Will Rogers that if they had followed, the, if the government had been following his advice for the last hundred years, we wouldn't have any debt crisis. So uh, if you're giving a speech to a group and say you're talking for 45 minutes or an hour, give me give me a little outline of what you might talk about during that time. Well, altogether, I do. Of course, I've got to include some politics. So it's balanced. So I've got some comments about both the Republicans and, and the Democrats. Then, uh, of course, I have to – I'll just start with the close here. I close with the well-known – quote, and I use the full am amount of it, that uh, I've joked about every prominent man of my life, but I never met a man I didn't like. Mm -hmm. I, I can hardly wait to die, so I want to see that on my <laughs> on my tombstone, and <laughs> I can hardly wait to die to see it carved. 
so so that's part of the inspirational part at, at the ending. It's more inspirational when I'm doing it live in person. When I'm talking to agriculture groups, I always include a little bit about uh, soil conservation, uh, the Dust Bowl, mm-hmm. and I'll be glad to share that with you if, if you want to hear it right now. Sure. No, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Uh, well, I'll take off my no-till hat and put on my Will Rogers hat <laughs> just, to, <laughs> just to make it just to make it authentic. And, and this is the way I would present it in a in a talk. So here okay. we go. Now, you folks are conservation-minded. Uh, most of you are too young to remember what I consider to be the worst single soil conservation calamity to hit this country. And I lived through it. Um, and, of course, that was the Dust Bowl. Uh, in March 1935, <laughs> I wrote this. I said, I flew through these dust storms yesterday with the pilot flying entirely by instruments. Now, it's a terrible thing. And it's going to bring up some peculiar legal cases. See, if Colorado blows over and lights on top of Kansas, it looks kind of like Kansas ought to have to pay them for the extra topsoil. <laughs> but but Kansas can sue them for covering up their crops. You know, it, it's gotten so bad that a farmer goes out to check his field, he looks down at it, and oh, it's up above him. Uh, you've got to you got to put a brand on your soil, and then in the spring go on a roundup looking for it. So that was near the end of March 1935, and uh, then I added a, a radio broadcast that I did on April 14th, 1935, and I'll, I'll tell you the significance of that uh, when I after I go through this. And I always add this. Now I hope my Cherokee blood is not making me prejudiced. In, in what I'm uh, going to say about the pioneers. Now, you may not agree with everything, but I think you'll agree with the slant that I took on it, at, uh, at least for a couple of ideas. So here's what I said on the radio back in April 14th, 1935. Here we go. Well, you know, we're always talking about pioneers and what great folks the old pioneers were. Well, I think if we just stopped and looked at history in the face, the pioneer wasn't a thing in the world, but a guy that wanted something for nothing. He was a guy that wanted to live off of everything that nature had done. He, uh, well, he wanted to cut a tree down, but that didn't cost him anything, but, but he never did plant one. Hmm. He wanted to plow up land that should have been left to grass. We're just now learning that we can rob from nature the same way we can rob from an individual. Now, now all he had was an axe and a plow and a gun. And he, he just went out and lived off nature. But really, he thought it was nature he was living off of, but uh, what he was really living off of was future generations. Uh, now, that's, that's authentic. That's what Will Rogers said on the radio. Now, the date... April 14th, 1935 is significant because that became known as Black Sunday. It was the worst single day out of a couple of years of the dust storms out there. Uh, and oddly enough, it started out as a bright, sunny day, nice and warm. Uh, it was on Sunday, obviously, and uh, people drove to church or they walked to church. But about noon, uh, the dust hit them like a wall. Uh, and I'm sure just about everybody who's listening to this podcast has seen photos of that right. dust just 
uh, looming over over houses and and the results of it with topsoil <laughs> piled up around farm machinery and around buildings. So what made Will Rogers famous? I mean, you, you go back and uh, he was from Oklahoma, but what made him what made him different? Um, how did he get famous? Uh, yeah. Well, let's start out. Uh, he, he started learning how to do rope tricks when he was four years old. Uh, okay. A, form, a former slave that worked on the ranch for his dad taught the kids how to do uh, lasso tricks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, now Will kept with it. So he kept getting better and better and better. And, and uh, he became a world-class trick roper, period. Mm-hmm. That's Now, my point is, uh, and I always express this when I'm talking to young groups, uh, youth, that if that's all he did, you would not really know about him. There, there's a lot of really good trick ropers. Sure. Uh, but he, t- he took advantage of his opportunities, and being world-class trick roper got him on the vaudeville stage, which was live shows back in that day, mm-hmm. back in uh, from about 1905 uh, up through – well, for about 10 years, and that got him on what I call the Cadillac of vaudeville shows, the Ziegfeld Follies in New York City. Sure, there you uh, go. Right. It was the very top one, and while he was performing with uh, uh, Flo Ziegfeld, uh, of course, being in New York City, journalists would come around, and, uh, and they would often write about <laughs> things that he said in the paper, newspapers the next day. It got attention of, uh, of a fellow whose last name was Goldfish, who was starting to make silent mi- movies. Now, back then, all the movies were silent, yeah. Sure. Uh, so, uh, in 1918, uh, he asked Will to be in a silent movie. And at that time, the movies were made in New Jersey. You remember Thomas Edison invented the movie projector and a lot of things like that. So they were in New Jersey. And this, uh, so that's where the first ones were made. But this fellow named Goldfish said, you know, we'd be a lot better off to move to California (laughs) rather than trying to do movies in New Jersey. Mm So, so Will, uh, along with the movies, they moved to California, uh, Hollywood, Los Angeles, and this fellow whose name was Goldfish changed his name to Goldwyn. Now oh, everybody, okay. yeah, MGM, Metro right. Goldwyn Mayor. Right. Uh, so, uh, so that got Will into the silent movies, and he made about fifty of them. Now, Will was just average in the silent movies. But in terms of the movies, he really became a star when the movie started talking in 1927 uh, or 28. And he, he made 21 talking movies and became a star. He was the top star in Hollywood uh, for uh, at least two years, 1934, 35, uh, until his death. Uh, top paid movie star. So think of Tom Cruise or somebody sure. like that in right. terms of the movies. So that was the movie part of it. But then mm-hmm. let me back up because he started writing newspaper columns and started one called uh, now referred to as weekly articles uh, in 1922. So a hundred years ago. So think of that as an op-ed in the newspaper. Uh, there you and, go. Uh, he continued writing those 
weekly uh, the rest of his life, uh, over 600 of those. Then in 1927, he was in Europe, kind of covering uh, the peace conference. Now keep in mind, this was between after the World War, which we now know as World War One, and uh, the publisher of of the New York Times said, "Well, why don't you send us a report uh, every day?" Mm-hmm. So by telegram. Will started uh, started what became known as the Daily Telegrams, and those are typically one or two paragraphs, uh, and were published five or six days a week in newspapers across the country, syndicated, uh, just like the weekly articles were syndicated also. So he wrote about 2,500 of those altogether. And then radio. He was on on radio for a while on on Sunday nights. Uh, <laughs> preachers across the country didn't appreciate it because about a fifteen minute broadcast, so people would stay home on Sunday night instead of going to church. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, uh, so think about this: he was writing uh, newspaper columns. Uh, <laughs> he was in the movies and on radio. And can you imagine it would take uh, at least a half a dozen people in today's society to kind of replace uh, what all he was doing uh, all at one time. We'll come back to the episode in a moment. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Source by Sound Agriculture, for supporting today's podcast. Source by Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the nitrogen and phosphorus in your fields so you can rely less on expensive fertilizer. This foliar application has a low use rate and you can mix it right into your tank. Check out Source. It's like caffeine for microbes. Learn more at sound.ag. And now, let's get back to the conversation. Well, you talked about him being a trick rope guy. I, I, I seem to remember in your early days, you tried some rope stuff on the stage, didn't you? <laughs> I do. I do one little rope trick uh, in, in my talks. Uh, it's called the flat loop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At one time I could do the wedding ring, but it, uh, it hurt my, uh, it hurt my shoulder. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, so I don't do it anymore, but here's the fun part. Uh, there's little ropes that I've got and I'll get half a dozen people up on the stage to do right. uh, the rope trick with me, and we have a we have a lot of fun with that. How many uh, talks would you give on Will Rogers in a typical year across the country? Oh, not as many as I should. It's been a, a downtime. I've always I'm frequently joked that the best audience for Will Rogers, well, the best audience for any humorist, is women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for Will Rogers, the best audience is women who are at least 80 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a declining audience. I'm right. I'm still doing talks, but uh, uh, well, right at the moment, I don't have any any scheduled. But I sure. did one in, for the Tennessee Cattlemen uh, uh, earlier in January. So mm-hmm. still doing them. It's still fun to do. I still enjoy writing the weekly comments, and that that keeps me fresh and keeps keeps giving me current information uh a typical talk that i would do would be oh about 75 percent authentic will rogers in other words, sure. his actual thing that he wrote and said yeah. and about 25 percent uh i bring it up to date and uh where will said something about herbert hoover i might substitute donald trump or or something like that or joe biden so so that way it uh it 
keeps it current as well as historical. Well, you you mentioned that you would talk to the Tennessee cattlemen a month or so ago, and I remember seeing a comment from one of our no-till innovators, John Bradley, who had been at that meeting from uh, Tennessee and one of the real leaders in no-till over the years and now running his own uh, little beef cattle farm. But he uh, spoke very highly of you uh, talking about Will Rogers in your presentation. <laughs> well, John Bradley was the one who was responsible for inviting me there. So <laughs> you, can, you can see that no-till, no-till farmers have influence all across the country, including on invitations to Will Rogers. So I see that you go down you go down to Oklahoma for a couple of the Will Rogers celebrations every year, right? Uh, there's a birthday celebration on November the 4th, mm-hmm. uh, and I go to that. Uh, I've been to that just about every year since, well, last 25 years. Wow. And uh, then they also hold a celebration ar- around uh, April the 15th. Mm-hmm. which was the day that uh, he and Wiley Post died back sure. in 1935. So they have what's called a, they have a fly-in. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, small airplanes, uh, often uh, at least a hundred of them will be there. So that was a good event that I went to this, this past August. So right. while we're promoting it, uh, the Will Rogers Memorial uh, and Museum is there. They're making a big expansion and expect to have that, completed by well in three years uh, mm-hmm. by uh, 2026 2026 is also the 100th anniversary of historic route 66 oh okay uh, right. from chicago to uh, los angeles it goes right through downtown claremore which is well rogers hometown and it ends at the Pacific Ocean at Pacific Palisades there in the Los Angeles area. And that's where Will Rogers, uh, ran, well, the Will Rogers State Park uh-huh. is located there. He, he bought 100, uh, 180 acres. Uh, he said, I can call it a ranch, even <laughs> though it's not. But, uh, and it's still there. As, his wife donated it uh, to the state of California as a state park. Yeah. We were at a par- we were at a party. Pam and I were at a party maybe two or three weeks ago, and there was a couple there, and they were they were talking about what travel plans they were going to make this summer, and this couple was going to retrace uh, Route 66 from Chicago all the way to California. They were going to drive it. So that that is a popular thing for tourists to do, and uh, I know well. I have a friend who was the model. <laughs> The Ford Model T Club, mm-hmm. uh, right, he's in Tulsa, but that's another thing that uh, people with antique vehicles like to travel, at least part of Route 66. You don't have to do the whole thing from Chicago, but uh, just being on it, it's uh, it's amazing. And, right. and part of that original exists right there around Claremore and Oolaga, Oklahoma. Yeah. Alice Musser, who used to work for us, and her late husband, Mike, and then two no-tillers from uh, southern Indiana, Rich and Marcy Little, shipped their mm. motorcycles to California years ago, and then they rode Route 66 back to Chicago. Wow. Yeah, that that would be a big deal. Right. And uh, and various places, of, uh, you might imagine, this started out. In fact, there were some places where it was so steep that uh, uh, back there in uh, 1926, uh, that Model T Ford had to back up the hill 
<laughs> had more power in reverse, and I think it may have had something to do with the gasoline tank location too. But uh, uh, so Route 66 was improved over the years, uh, but there are various pieces, and you can look it up. Uh, uh, various places where the original pavement still exists. Yeah. So um, we can, we kind of got you launched with Will Rogers at the NOTO conference 25 years ago, and we've done 31 of these conferences, and you're you're one of five people who've made all 31 conferences. What's kept you coming back all these years? Oh, well, the first two or three of them, you put me to work. <laughs> As an extension, extension ag engineer at Ohio State, I was uh, very willing to help out. And, and, uh, and well, you still do that, right? And I still, I still help out some, yes. Right. Glad to do that. Uh, but back then, you had kind of a skeleton crew, Frank, so you yeah. needed, all, needed all the help you could get. And you right. were attracting uh, two or three times as many people as you expected, uh, at right. least at the first one. It's just great information every year, and one of my goals is to get to listen to top speakers and then uh, sometimes invite some of those to our own conferences that I'm in charge sure. of here in Ohio. So it, it has that purpose also. Right. right. Yeah, I think the first uh, conference we had, there was uh, Pam and I and our daughter Kelly and Alice and uh, Dave Ernst, who worked at, with us at the time. So there were five people now we take maybe 15 to keep up. <laughs> it's a big difference and, and yeah. i know uh, i didn't do this at the first one but i know you had people like me in extension across the country that would bring our own slide projectors or overhead projectors oh, yeah, to, right, right. to help out so everything's improved Right. Over the years, several times, uh, when it's been a presidential year, we've had you, Will Rogers, get up on the stage and run the presidential campaign among no-tillers. Tell us about that. Okay. I know we did that twice, and, and uh, that was always always fun. Uh, get people there, the farmers or a couple of staff people, to play the role of different candidates. I think we did it in uh, before 2008 and also maybe before 2012. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, some of the memorable ones were uh, Alice Musser from your staff uh, played Hillary Clinton. Right, right. And, and uh, one year, uh, Rudy Giuliani, he couldn't show up, but his third wife showed up and that was that was that was Bree right. and, and I think she got interrupted by his next wife which right, we there you go. Right. Uh, then one year uh, Santorum from Pennsylvania sure. uh, Steve Steve Groff portrayed uh, Santorum as a Republican candidate, and and he actually won because Steve was so persuasive <laughs> as, uh, as as the candidate. So, so that worked out really well. Well, and, and we're, we're gonna we we maybe we'll do that again this next one in January. Uh, I'm already thinking ahead, Frank. That all right? We have Joe Biden. Maybe you can portray Joe Biden or. Uh, uh, that that would that would I think that you might fit in that role pretty well. And, I'm getting I'm getting old enough to be him, and I stumble around and mumble enough to be him. So. <laughs> yeah, and we'll have to have a Donald Trump there. And I was just thinking ahead that uh, maybe we get both of you up there on the stage at the same time, Trump and Biden, and we'll have 
a couple of FBI agents sneak up behind you and put handcuffs on you oh, to drag dude. you off the stage. Right and uh, <laughs> to make it authentic. Now, now these would these would uh, you might think that would be because of all these classified documents that these two guys have hidden at their homes, but right. really these would be fake FBI agents, and they just want to get these old codgers off the stage so that the new ones, younger ones, can. Right. <laughs> come up and run. So, right. so I'm already thinking about ideas for a year from now on that. All right. All right. Good. So uh, going back to Will Rogers, what will Will Rogers think of no-till and soil health and cover crops today? Uh, well, you, you think about uh, one thing, and I'll emphasize the line uh, that talk about the old pioneer uh, he wrote uh, that the old pioneer wanted to plow up land that should have been left to grass. Sure. And so we wouldn't leave it to grass today, but uh, but we don't plow it anymore. Just no-till and cover crops and the crop that we're growing for cash can definitely fill in and, and serve the same role mm-hmm. as native grass. So Will was all in favor of that. There was another one uh, where... He joked, well, he didn't joke as much as making a serious comment that Franklin Roosevelt had proposed planting a line of trees all uh, north to south along the Great Plains there as, as a wind barrier. And the Republicans were poked fun at, at him uh, planting these saplings. saplings. And Will said, well, in, in 10 years, uh, if we'd had them in 10 years, why we'd all be happy that they were there. So sure. of course that, that never happened, but think of all the windbreaks that farmers have planted in the last few years right. and other conservation measures that we're taking. Here's an interesting thing about the dust bowl. Uh, that was in the 1930s. Uh, it was dry, uh, but there was a five year period, five to eight years ago in Oklahoma when they had no more, the rainfall for those five years was no more than it was in the 1930s at the height of the Dust Bowl. Uh, but we did not have a Dust Bowl in five years ago because of various conservation practices that our farmers have used uh, since we learned our lesson from all the soil erosion, from, especially from wind mm-hmm. and water uh, since the 1930s. So anything uh, you'd like to talk about, you or Will, that I've missed talk- we've missed talking about before we wind this up? Uh, I think we've covered it. Uh, as a self-promotion, I'll say that my website is willrogerstoday.com. And I, as I say, I'm writing. I've got a lot of Will Rogers quotes on that website if you want to look it up. And in addition to talking to cattlemen, I'm, of course, I enjoy talking to uh, groups like Soil and Water Conservation Districts uh, at their sure. annual meetings and any any other agricultural event. Uh, I wrote a book a few years ago. And I got permission to use this title for it. Uh, it's, it's Will Rogers quotes about agriculture, ranching, anything to do with agriculture. And the title of the book is I never met a farmer. I didn't like, there you go. So right. uh, I, I still have a few of those. So, so that's the self promotion for That's Will fine. Rogers. Done, uh, 
We appreciate what you've done for us at the NOTO conference over the years. You've always been a great person to try it, bounce ideas off and help us out when we're shorthanded. And you've made a great career out of Will Rogers. And I want to thank you for doing that. And I'm glad to know that we played a small part in getting this launched with you. So appreciate it. Yes, absolutely did. And I'm looking forward to Indianapolis next January. Okay. That's great. That's it for this episode of the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators Podcast. Thanks to Randall Reeder for joining us, and thanks again to our sponsor, Source by Sound Agriculture, for helping to make this series possible. A transcript of this episode and our archives of previous podcast episodes are both available at notillfarmer.com. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm McCain Vogel. Thanks for listening. Keep on no-tilling and have a great day.